It's about building trust. It's about a bit of smiling. It's definitely lots of honest, focused, non-interrupting listening and some engaging questions, open questions that give them a chance to think about things. You have to absolutely get their trust to know that you're not trying to look at anything that's going to come back on them. It is just trying to gather information, valuable feedback that the organization can help them. And I think by sitting down and just being there, I always use the word, I don't want to intrude, but if I can do anything to help, I'm here to listen. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Good day, guys. Today, I got to interview Don Harris. Don is the founder of Talk Back, where he helps organizations understand what their teams truly think and provides insights that drive change and engagement relative to what he learned from the frontline employee base. He's also an active listening coach. So we talked about why is it so important to start listening and to start engaging with our teams in genuine and real ways versus just making voice service to it. We talked about how we can start to transform our culture and how we can start to become great listeners on an individual level. What are his keys and his first steps for getting really good at listening? So listening is such an important skill. And Don shared some great tips for how we can be more effective and powerful listeners. Don, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to talk with you today. Greg, it's an absolute joy. Thank you so much for having me on board here. I have been looking forward to this since you first suggested we might have a conversation. And so here we are. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Don. Thanks so much for that. I think there's a ton you could teach the audience around listening and communicating in in the corporate and professional space and feedback and how to build a better culture of communication. But before we dive into that, I'd love to just get a background from you on kind of how you got in this space to begin with. Yeah, I think often we we look at ourselves and wonder, how did I end up here? Mm -hmm. I think it possibly started for me back at school or high school, you might call it, um, when I seemed to be the person who was asked to show people around, the new people, and fell into that role quite comfortably and just showed people around things, but uh, places. And um, I suppose somebody had identified in me that I was an open, affable type of character who liked that sort of role and maybe wouldn't lead somebody astray or or maybe would later, but anyway, was prepared to do it. And then... (laughs) When I was leaving school, the only kind of career guidance that was around at that time uh, was one chat with one person, and they did a little very short test with you. And at the end of that test, for me, when I was leaving, they said, hey, Don, you'd be great at sales. Oh, great. Well, thanks. That's it then, is it? Yep, that's (laughs) it. (laughs) So I found myself in sales um, in a retail store here in Ireland very quickly after school, And I think that's where I had to learn to listen and uh, listen to customers and observe things and take instruction. And I was naive, no question about that. 
but I enjoyed the role. I just enjoyed meeting people and I still do. Good deal. So fast forward to, I guess, today, right? So started in the retail world. That's how we got in. Well, you know, we already were interested in communication. That was our first kind of dipping our toes in it. And and today you're you're coaching companies on how to listen and communicate more effectively. Bridge that gap for me. How do we get from there to here? Yes. Ooh, yeah. A lot of lot of places and jobs and uh, finding my way and things that didn't work out. I worked with um, the lifeboat service over here, which would be equivalent to the Coast Guard, where you are. I think lovely job. Was really in lovely parts of the country again, working with people. And then I had been a pirate radio DJ for some years and wanted to set up a business in the whole area of radio and radio sales of advertising. So we could talk quite a long time about that, but I'm not going to. But it took 10 years to establish that central sales house for local radio. I got that contract in 1992, financially very hard going, to be honest. I had to sell my car to pull through, but we did get the contract And that lasted from 92 to 97. And then that's the thing where I realized that I really enjoyed radio and meeting people and listening to people and doing interviews. But I didn't enjoy the sales thing that I've been actually working so hard to establish. I reached my level. I think there's something called the Peter Principle where it's called a level of incompetence. And I say that in all sincerity. I didn't want to do the role I was doing. It was meetings about meetings, deadlines, sales targets, and further and further from radio and more and more sitting in sales offices and looking at figures and deadlines and helping sales teams, which mm-hmm. was lovely in a way, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I got the chance in 1997 to move away from that. Digital over here really was becoming a thing, much more so, and I launched Talk Back with the idea of interviewing people and getting back to my roots. And I suppose what really pushed me into it, I had a client called Samaritans. I don't know if Samaritans are in the States or it's a different type of listening organization, but that's an online listening organization to people who want to talk to somebody and they don't know who to call. Mm. So Samaritans is an anonymous, confidential help service online where you can phone up and just be listened to. Mm-hmm. And the director of the organization asked me, would I go to their national conference and interview the people who, what they were called their volunteers, people who did the listening at the other end of the telephone and find out why they did that role, what had drawn them to become a volunteer for Samaritans. So I did that and we really uncovered some remarkable stories of people some sad stories, but what drove them to want to do this volunteering and help to be there for people. And out of that, I realized that actually the information we brought back and we then worked on campaigns and connect campaigns and even an advertising campaign to recruit people to become volunteers was very, very helpful. And the information was very, very useful for the organization. And I realized then there's something in this, I should look into this a bit more. And very quickly, TalkBack was born. And I haven't really stopped interviewing people and talking with people and gathering information. And that brought me to all sorts of areas. Uh, but it, it was much closer to my own dream job. Very cool. Very cool. And then tell me what you do for companies and your clients today, then. How's that related? Okay. So 
I suppose one of the contracts that lasted the longest, and, and I do it in smaller ways now, but with with the present circumstances, uh, who knows how it's going to go. But mm. I worked with an airline particularly and talked to a lot of pilots and engineers in their place of work, which wasn't an office. It was wherever the plane or aircraft was that they were waiting to do another sector, which is what I, air flights are called when you are a pilot, waiting to do another sector. And I started gathering a lot of feedback and information from those pilots and uh, other people waiting for the next flight in a large canteen area. There might have been 60 or 70. And we gathered a lot of information. I didn't use any names. I didn't need to know names. I just needed the information to help fix things, get things done. Mm -hmm. And the thing about pilots particularly, and it would be the same with others, they don't need, they feel, to be that close to the organization. They need to fly the aircraft safely from A to B and do everything that standard operational procedure, which is SOP, would require of them. And so the company was feeling they weren't getting enough information and they needed somebody to go to where the pilots were to ask them. And so we, we concocted and really brought about a whole change program, which lasted six or seven years to do that. And we brought engagement, which is was the issue I was brought in for the first place, from 47% to 74%. Mm. And along the way, fixed a lot of things that needed fixing that the company wasn't hearing about. And so it was a really great project to be involved with, a lot of engagement. And I'll give you a small story, which might give you an idea of the sort of things. Mm -hmm. When I got there, the first thing, one of the first things some of the pilots said to me, Don, we have plastic cups in this canteen and we're here for four or five hours. Have you any idea why we need to have plastic cups? So I said, uh, no, actually, I haven't a clue, but I will try and find out and get it sorted. And so in the period of a few months and in my absolutely non-German, because this was in Leipzig in Germany, I would draw on the menu, the little paper menu that was sitting on the tables, a cup of coffee, and I'd say, bitter, 30 by, and I draw this in a little bit, 30 by at 2300, we're back to our 24-hour clock again, 2300, danke. And I'd leave that on the menu and I'd stick it up there every time I was there. And then one time after I'd been coming back two or three, four times, came back and out at 2300, 11 o'clock came, two trays of spanking white cups and stuck on the rack. And no sooner had I walked in the door to sit down that the pilots came over, you know, those cups and mugs we asked you to fix, you got them for us. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. <laughs> so yeah. a very small fix, but those are the things that matter to people when they don't think they're being listened to. Interesting. Yeah. And it's also great to see once they see the impact of, of opening up and talking about it, it, it's a great motivation for them to continue to. So I'm curious, you know, as you're talking to people, I guess one question is, is how do you get them to start to open up about those challenges that they're probably pretty reticent to open up about? Yeah, that's a skill that I know you have as well, Greg, because we've had a couple of conversations. It's about building trust. It's about a bit of smiling it's definitely lots of honest, focused, non-interrupting listening and some engaging questions, open questions that give them a chance to think about things. You have to absolutely get their trust to know that you're not trying to look at anything 
that's going to come back on them. It is just trying to gather information, valuable feedback that the organization can help them. And I think by sitting down and just being there, I always use the word, I don't want to intrude, but if I can do anything to help, I'm here to listen. And over a while that built up and built up. And when I might've been going into the middle of conversations or what I would call be the race to the bottom conversations and trying to change those conversations, I would sit down with somebody else. But over time, I would be sitting on my own waiting for the aircraft to arrive in and they would come and sit down with me. So I knew then I was getting somewhere in terms of building that rapport and uh, it worked out very well. So it's not an instant thing. You can't force it. You've just got to be there. And some remarkable conversations. I remember asking one particular captain quite earlier on, earlier in, my, in a role in what was called the quiet room, because I was forward announced and that is the way it goes that I might be around. I said to this particular gentleman, would you feel like having a few words? Would that be okay? I'm down from talk back and the company's asked me to pop down. And he looked at me with a slight pause and he said, I'd love you to sit down. I definitely would like to talk to somebody. And I sat down and he said to me, this is pretty remarkable, Greg. He said to me, I'm really pleased to see you because I've just got the information on the message from the uh, system. I'm going to be divorced in the morning when I get back. And I was taken aback. I said, really? He said, yeah, um, I just got that on the message when I landed. And so I really would like to talk to somebody. We ended up having a very open, honest uh, conversation and it, it went into all kinds of directions that I just could not have expected. But it just turned out I was in the right place and an odd thing happens with a captain and a first officer or anybody else who's sharing the aircraft with them. That's a professional relationship. And they don't necessarily, when they get to the ground and on the, uh, on the ground, want to talk about those things with each other because they've just shared a, an aircraft for about four hours, potentially. So extraordinary. But that's the sort of thing that can happen. And I was in the right place for that particular person. And uh, I was very pleased to be able to do that. Yeah, very interesting. Now. You mentioned listening, and I know that's a big part of kind of what you do. So I'd love for you to share best practices around how we can be better listeners, because I know I struggle to do it for sure. Yeah. Okay, Greg, I, I did too. And one of the things and one of the times I realized how bad a listener I was related back to that period when I was in those meetings about figures and the possibility of more business and stuff. And I was in a radio station in a lovely part of Ireland, as it turned out. And we had the meeting and it was myself and my colleague and the person we were meeting. And when we left him, we were driving away. He said to me, you know, you weren't really listening there very much. You were looking out the window. And I said, do you know what? I think you're right. And so I suddenly realized that I wasn't turning up as somebody who looked interested and I better figure it out. And then the next thing that happened was I trained to be a coach and I trained to be a mediator and I got the training to become a good listener. And that definitely helped. And from then on, I had the skills of eye attention and focus and pausing and looking interested and genuine and not just looking genuine, but being genuine. And that takes a bit of skill and a bit of time, but if you can do it and build it up over a while, it just grows and the trust grows. 
empathy is big part about all this, but you build up a relationship with somebody and you wait for them to finish whatever they were going to say and not have something else ready to say, just wait till they're ready to absolutely go quiet. And then you might come up with the next thing you want to ask them about. It's so hard to do, right? It, it's scary to sit there and not be loading up to think about what you want to say next. Because what if you don't come up with anything? You just stare at each other in an awkward silence. You know, That's definitely a, a scary part for me, and I'm sure a lot of people. And then the other part is kind of learning how to focus your mind. So I'm not thinking about dinner or what I got to do next or my next phone call, you know, because yeah. that naturally happens. And so I think it takes some training and some time to do that. Any any tips on how to learn to focus like that? Like, how did they teach you to focus like that? Okay, the eyes are a lot to do with it. Absolutely, absolutely focusing on somebody's face and on their eyes, looking at what their hands are doing. Not having any distraction is so important. And probably one of the most important things now is not to have your smartphone or your smart device at your side on the table, desk, or whatever, in a way that it looks like you're checking it or waiting for the next WhatsApp message or anything else to come in, but actually demonstrating to the person that you're in the room with or in front of that they are the most important person to you right now. And not to be looking around, not to be distracted by people walking past try and really and you're right it is quite tricky to do but to try and really give them the impression and and make it be the truth actually that they are the most important person to you at that moment and it might be 10 minutes or it might be half an hour but if at all possible stick with it and let them understand that you're you're there for them it's all about them and definitely not you mm. For sure. Now, we communicate so much of what we have to say in nonverbal ways, right? So I'm curious about how much attention you pay to things like body language and micro expressions and how have you developed a skill to get good at that? You're quite right. Uh, body language is such an important thing. Do you know what? I'm not quite sure if I have developed all the skills yet, Greg. I'm learning all the time. Mm -hmm. The skills are slightly changing, I think, as well, for the reason we've just said. Uh, there are other distractions, and sometimes it's not you who's distracted. It's them, mm. and they are checking things, and they are saying to you, oh, do, do you mind? I'm really sorry. I have to take this, or I'm just waiting for a call, or oh, I'm still thinking about an email. I had an email just before I started. It's, it's just distracting me. And so it's trying to get them actually into the space that they realize this is their time, and you're probably more prepared for it than them. But did I prepare for it? I think because I, like that meeting I mentioned to you, realized that I had made mistakes before and corrected myself and said, oh, no, I'll do that again. You better be careful. And then watched out for those eye movements and the shake of the head or the sort of smiles or no smiles or grimaces, that's the word, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. or anything that kind of betrayed their, I suppose, feeling or emotion that they just didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. or else they were really there. And when you really notice, if somebody is in any way emotional in their eyes, you absolutely know you're in a moment with them because something is resonating or they're recalling something that matters to them. 
And I think then, you know, you're there. But it's not till afterwards, maybe. I get quite emotional myself in a lot of these conversations. It happens to me because if they're giving me a story about what they've gone through or maybe are going through, I am right there with them because I'm easily, I am easily one that's going to collapse <laughs> before they do with the story because <laughs> I'm in it. <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. And I think you can tell a lot from the eyes, especially the eyebrows as well. The eyebrows can tell you a lot if yeah. you're looking from a micro expression perspective. Yeah. So part of it is listening and understanding. The other part, especially for leaders, is giving feedback, right? So they've heard, um, you've had a good conversation. Now I have to talk to you, say, about your performance or why we can't do something or maybe why we can do something. Any tips on, on how to provide feedback from for leaders? Yes. But just one thing I want to say, Greg, before we go on to that is, which I forgot about, is touch. Mm. And we used to be able to gently touch somebody's arm or put your hand on their shoulder or something which kind of connects with you you with that other person. You can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's all gone. And in the particular pandemic situation that we're in, hugs and things have all gone as well. <laughs> and that was a big part of communication at that particular. Now, yeah, sure. feedback, right, it's very interesting. Feedback can be taken in so many different ways. For me, if I'm giving feedback, first of all, it has to be genuine, honest, and sometimes not meaning to be, but quite critical if it is to fix things. If I'm, if I'm there to do a job and find out the truth, the truth can hurt sometimes for the people that you're giving it to, as usually the CEO or the person who is um, responsible really for what's happening, and they're not really understanding so sometimes the feedback has to go back to them and they have to understand that they're as much involved with the problem instead of them feeling that it's everybody else and they want to find out and they want to fix things, but not really understanding that they are one of the major items of a problem. And so delivering the feedback can be quite tricky. But having said that, it depends on how you are set up to, to gather the feedback. And how you then decide to approach it with the various people. In one organization, I was told, and another area to watch out for, not to make any assumptions. I was told by the CEO when we were talking about the people and the groups of people I was going to talk about. And he said, oh, yeah, him. Yeah, no, you want to watch him. He's, qu he's quite a tricky individual. We've had a bit of difficulty with him. So you got to be careful there, you know. But uh, look, you know, he's a good guy, but you just got to be a bit careful. Hey? So... I got sitting down with this chap and uh, we sat down and he sat down in front of me and I said to him, I have to tell you, I wasn't looking forward to this meeting. I really wasn't. And he said, why is that? I said, well, I was told you were a bit grumpy. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure how that's going to go. Well, of course, he smiled. He said, who told you that? I said, it doesn't really matter. I said, I don't take anything that anybody tells me unless I find out for myself. And I don't think it is that way. You might speak, speak your mind, and that's absolutely fine with me. But I just want to find out. Well, we never had a problem. I yeah. never had a problem with that particular guy the entire time I was working with the company. That's funny. And, and that's a great way, I think, to introduce it and get a real response from him um, and, and get him to open up in a way. That's, that, that's amazing. That's tough. So <laughs> more broadly, if I'm a leader, you know, how do I create a culture of listening and, and open communication? 
beyond, you know, you come in, you help solve a particular problem, but then once you're gone, how do I help develop a broader culture that, that is more open to clarity and, and honesty and, and authentic understanding? Would you mind if I read a quote here, Greg? I have it here beside me and I don't want to get it wrong, but it's very relevant to what you just asked me. Absolutely. By a guy quotes. called James Burton, who was the former CEO of CalPERS, which is the California Public Service. And he said, spending time with your people is one of the most powerful forms of recognition you can bestow. Genuinely seeking their opinions and feedback costs nothing but your time and the dividends are priceless. You'll see increased morale, more open communication and greater sharing of solutions to business challenges. And along the way, you'll also get to know some truly remarkable people in the process. So I think he nailed it right there, which is that involve your people, ask them, keep going back and ask them, how are we doing? What do you think? Ask them to be involved in the future plans of the company. How, how are we going to react? What, how have we done social? What about that problem last year? You know, did we do that well? In other words, for me, it is totally about involving your team of people, whether it's 10 or 100 or however you do that, by keeping on asking them of their opinion. What is their opinion? And they then feel part. They feel important. They are important they will feel that they can be part of the successful way out of what might be a difficulty. It's, it's relevant at the moment. And they will be able then to share in the success of what has been achieved. I have one little case about that where I had one person in a, in a company who said to me, they don't really know about me here at all. I, I, I'm just a small cog in a, you know, in a big wheel. And I was able to say to them, I don't think that's the way it is at all. You might be it might be a link in a chain, all right, but we all know if the link breaks in a chain, that's a bit of a disaster. You're a very important link in the chain. We had a couple of conversations. That particular person became employee of the quarter, which I'm not sure if it's something, a scheme I particularly like, but that was the measurement. Employee of the quarter, and by the end of the year, employee of the year, nice. because she was recognized, she took a different attitude to you know, where she was going and meetings and all sorts of things. And we had some great conversations. And I was also able to fix things along the way a little bit by having a quiet word here and there with people that mattered to her world. And that was great to see. I mean, you know, from being a coach, there's nothing better than seeing people's progress and feeling you've also been part of that. And then I was able to, you know, go back and check in. So I think the checking in, the asking, the involvement, and the genuine, the genuinely, the genuine care for people, not just because you think you should do it, because you want to do it, and you do care. Yeah, absolutely, truly caring. And I think the other key related to all that is is once you're talking to people, you have to take action on you know what they talk about. And you can't have them say oh, all these things are wrong and then not make any attempt to fix them. Even if it's hey, we looked at it, we can't fix it. Communicating that back is is okay, I think. So that's totally. Really and, and on that point, Greg, if you don't fix it, if you actually do not follow through, all the work you've done is negated, and actually you'll be worse off than when you started. So you must follow through, or it's just a waste of time. Very true. Very true. 
So before we got on, you had mentioned some interesting new things that you're working on around touring folks about Ireland and, and I guess, consulting and coaching while exploring new places. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I haven't heard anything yeah. like that before. It's not pretty cool. Yeah. There's a happening taking place where we've all had difficult times in the last 18 months. And we're on different parts of the world at the moment. And it's wonderful to be able to do this. But the times are coming where we can all meet people again outside and share conversations and have meetings that aren't just in offices, aren't on calls like this, but actually being able to talk with people. So what's evolving is a walking, talking, listening type of meeting where people decide, well, let's have a coffee. We can talk, we can walk, we can agree things. You can come to me, I can go to you, we can meet somewhere else in a park. And that's becoming quite a thing. So because I'm a coach and, and, and recently trained as a tour guide, which I think is what you're alluding to, I actually don't want to do walking tours in my part of the world, which is a place called Hoth in, in Dublin on the east coast of Ireland, and bring people out and about where I live, which isn't a bad part of the world, but also other parts, have conversations with them, do some tour guide and look at some famous places. But part of all that is have coaching conversations along the way. Because strangely, but I feel wonderfully, people are prepared to put away their smart device in their pocket, in their bag, in their backpack, and really talk and take in their surroundings and enjoy it in that period that they have, whether it's one hour or three hours. And so if they can do that whilst having a meaningful conversation with the company, the people in a team, or you as a coach in one-to-ones, it actually is such a powerful time. I think that's going to grow and grow for very practical reasons in the next few years. And I want to be very much part of that. My my touring uh, name will be Tour Talk, but that will link back into Talk Back. And it's only evolving. It's a little bit early days but I'm looking forward to it in the next year or two to see how it all goes. And and Greg, when you're over in this part of the world, when you are back over here with the family, I am going to be your tour guide exclusively, privately, just for you. You'll be very welcome. I love it. I expect some coaching along the way too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, you mentioned Talkback as well. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. Yeah. Now, I've been doing radio programs for a good few years. and I stopped at the end of 2018 because of this house move I knew was going to come up. And I felt I wasn't going to be able to commit myself to the the weekly show and manage to do everything and move house. And I didn't even know then we were going to have the pandemic, but it came along. So I want to get back. I want to do a program much more about well-being and coaching and all that side of things. But along... And in the middle of all that, I'm going to do a podcast called Listening is the Business, which will be much more about listening with people and the things we're talking about and bringing on guests. I'd be delighted to be reciprocating, I hope, in a few months and having you on what will be my podcast, but I'm afraid I'll only be starting out. So you may have to broadcast it on your own effort to have make sure anybody's listening. <laughs> but no um, we'll do that. And I'll have Listening is the Business. That will be in my next big venture along with Tour Talk, and I'm looking forward to having guests from all over the globe. Now, the great thing about what you and I do, particularly you at the moment, is you can do this job, we can do this job, broadcasters and podcasters can do this job till the day we drop, as they say. And there's some <laughs> famous examples of that. 
Um, most notably over here would be Alistair Cook's letter from America that came over here for many, many years. And I listened to it for many, many years. And he was in his 80s at least before he did his last radio program. And these things matter. These shows matter. And people are listening to these shows and they get a lot from them. And I hope the type of material and the type of shows that you do in your podcast will be one of those that people will always remember back to a particular show or a particular host and say, he was somebody I could listen to all day and the guests were very interesting and the topics were always very engaging. Now, if you manage to achieve that, that's fantastic. Oh, I agree. I agree. And thank you for that. A couple questions that I like to ask everybody who I have on the show. The first is around the power of conversation. I'm a strong believer that just one conversation can have a really meaningful impact on your life. So I always like to ask my guests if there's one conversation you can point to that you could tell us about that had a really meaningful impact upon the direction that you took. Yeah. Well, I've already mentioned one, which is the brief conversation I had coming back in the car with my colleague when he pointed mm -hmm. out to me, you're not a great listener. And that was one thing. Another very meaningful, but much more recent, which you're probably not going to be expecting this one, Greg, was I had a quite a, uh, a serious medical attack some years ago in 2014 when I got a burst bowel and a perforated appendix on the same day. And I didn't know until I was rushed in the hospital, excruciating pain. And then the morning after they had done all tests on, on me, person who was looking at my information, my data, as I was lying on a trolley at eight o'clock in the morning on the 9th of December, 2014, said to me, Mr. Harris, we've looked at all your scans and the best possible case for you is if you have a perforated bowel the next best case scenario is it's a burst appendix, but the worst case scenario for you is if they've both gone. And that's what we're worried about. And I have to tell you, if that's the case, it's a very serious situation. And I have to warn you that people have died from this condition. She had my attention. Mm -hmm, for sure. And I said, wow. Well, now I'm a fairly easygoing type of person. It would have been easy to make a humorous comment of some kind, but it didn't seem appropriate at that moment. So I said, I'd be grateful if you could do your very best. So that was that. I knew I was in a serious situation. I knew I hadn't, my wife was, I last hadn't seen her, you know, oh, I don't know, about 12 hours before at um, eight o'clock or so the previous evening and just said, as they took me away on a trolley, right, see you later then. And that would have been that. So as it turned out, this was pretty serious. Going on, I was at a large operation, eight hours or so, and uh, they fixed everything up. They then told my wife, I went into resource twice, apparently, which I didn't know what needless to say. Told my wife, pretty serious situation. He could be in here for six weeks. If he gets an infection, I'm sorry to say he just, he won't make it. I didn't. I wasn't in for six weeks. I was out in eight days from the hospital because the other thing they found out, and I I say this in all sort of, what's the word? I don't know, education for other people. I was told because the rest of my innards, I mean, my insides were in quite good condition, in fact, pretty good condition. That's what saved me. And therefore, my body was able to cope with this. I had a very good outlook in terms of positivity and doing all the things I was asked to do. And so they, you know, they get you moving again in two or three days sitting and moving slowly. Nothing moved for me easily. 
But I did get out again. I walked out of the hospital again in eight days. You then have a colostomy bag for a year and you, you get an operation again at the end of the, you know, whenever you get reversed, as they call it, back to the way you would have been. So that was all happened at the end of 2015. So those conversations and that particular conversation, and then other ones I would have had with my family, I said to myself, whatever I was going to do in my life, I'm going to do it soon because I'm not waiting. That was my one minute warning. So in the course of the next few months and year, I bought a new canoe. I do like canoeing around the place a bit. I bought a new new guitar. Well, I said new, but used, new to me guitar. And sort of got back to things that I always did enjoy doing with the attitude that I'd better get on with it because you'd never know. And so I haven't really looked back from that. I now do things. I work in areas that I really like. I like doing the work. And I only do the work that I really like, not that I should do. And I I think I've become the person I want to be and I am instead of the person I should be. Yeah, very, very cool. Very powerful and a very obviously powerful message and moment and that we have to <laughs> and we never know if we'll have tomorrow. So we got to take advantage of the time that we do have to, to do what uh, we think will be most fulfilling for us. Yeah, yeah. So second question for you, I'm thinking about all that you've accomplished so far. If there's one communication skill that you could have had in more abundance that would have really helped, what would that have been? Yeah, I think early on, I should have displayed more empathy. Mm. I think I should have tried. I think as a young person, you don't. It's not It's not a fault, I think, so much as just a lack of awareness of what it means and you tend to be shooting back and you, uh, I think all young people, I would have been one of them would say to us point, my parents, what do they know? They, I mean, they're of a different generation. This is our generation. So I think now I'm the age that I am. I'm now in my early sixties. I have a very good view on what it was like for other people that I worked with, for other people in my family. And I do regret that I didn't have more empathy for their situation. I think I just, I wasn't aware enough to know what they were going through. And therefore, I just don't know if I was supportive enough. I don't think I was necessarily not supportive. I just possibly could have been more supportive Mm -hmm. for certain people, either my parents or certain bosses who I had a lot of time for. I think as any employee at the time, you might say, what are they doing? I could do that an awful lot better. Mm -hmm. Gee, you know, whereas I don't think I really recognized the struggles that they probably were having as well. And so, yeah, empathy, I think, will be it. Yeah. And obviously important for all of us and very important to what you're doing today. So it's clear that you've been focusing on developing that throughout your life as you focus on listening more effectively. So last question for you either alive or dead, somebody you know or just know of, who is the best communicator that you know and why? I have a great friend, Neil, and he and I grew up together doing playing golf and other things, but we weren't close friends. We were good friends. Neil then become one of the, became one of the foremost coaches in Ireland, as it turns out. Hmm. He didn't realize it at the time, and I didn't realize it at the time. But he now communicates with his audience and his people, his tribe, his followers, his clients in a really 
unique way. And I think the traits that he has and the skills in warmth, humanity, humor, empathy, and his coaching skills are just superb. And uh, I, I learned from him a lot by his skills. And I'm glad to say we're still great friends. We still play golf a couple of times a year. We're not in quite the same place. And he represented his country. I represent my country and other things, but not at the level he did. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so I've learned a lot from him. So he, he would be the communicator. You, you know, you could pick world leaders and say they were two communicators, but it means nothing to me in all honesty. I like to be able to really see close up what somebody can do as a communicator. I think there are other wonderful people. We had a couple of presidents here who were female presidents in the last couple of years and two Marys, Mary Robinson was the first one and then Mary McAleese. They were terrific communicators throughout the period that they were presidents here through some difficult times. So I can't pick out one particular person for but different reasons. They communicated very well and you just knew there was a genuineness there with their um, leadership. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Great, great. So last question for you, or I guess final, final question. Where can folks find you? Yeah, my the probably the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm just Don Harris Dublin. We'll, we'll catch you. I don't think there's another Don Harris Dublin as far as I can see. And that's where most of my information goes to. I'm updating my website, which is talkback.ie. Updating it slightly at the moment. There's a few sound links and things that aren't there at the moment. That's uh, It's getting there. And then in time, but not yet, listening as a business, the podcast will be up there. I'll be delighted to have anybody following it. And uh, I know we'll be talking again, Greg, because if anybody would like to come back to us on this, uh, the tables will be turned, folks. And I'll be <laughs> delighted to have Greg in my seat and uh, we'll then put him through the, I'll actually get him to send me the questions and I'll ask them him. <laughs> I'll ask him the same question, see what he comes up with. But that's some time away. So uh, we, we'll talk about that again. Oh, I look forward to it, Don, and, and I definitely appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming on today. I thought it was a great conversation that we shared a lot with the listeners about just how to listen more effectively and, and especially how to create a, a culture of listening within organizations. So, so thank you for your time and, and for your wise guidance. Now, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure, Greg. And, you know, when you're talking to a pro like you and you have the following that you have and the the understanding of what this is all about is such a pleasure because it makes such an easy job for somebody like me just to sit here and nod my head sagely, you know? <laughs> well, thanks, Don. I really appreciate that. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.